Welcome to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast that looks at what we give up in order to thrive. I'm John Hegarty, chairman of Soho-based independent media agency, Electric Glue. In this series, I'm talking to people from the creative industries about what they have sacrificed to be where they are today. With me in the studio today is Gail Porter, television presenter and personality, who in the 90s was the face of so many TV shows, including Top of the Pops. More recently, Gail featured in a BBC documentary titled Being Gail Porter, which takes a look at the last 20 years of her life, exploring everything from anorexia, depression, self-harm and alopecia, and how this has led to where she is today. Well, Gail, we're talking today about sacrifice. <laughs> it sounds think... like an obituary. I'm not dead yet. Hi, folks. Is, I'm not dead yet, right? This is definitely sacrifice. So, <laughs> yeah. well, look, it's it's. Uh, can I just say one other thing? Actually, this is <laughs> yeah. for me. Um, this is uh, uh, an amazing uh, opportunity to talk to Gail because we famously at BBH Bartleberger Hegarty projected her image onto the side of Parliament um, to you vote... did what <laughs> <laughs> to uh, vote for your favourite FHM um, female. So that was in the nineties. So Gail, wonderful to have you here today. I'm going to ask you, but this is were you about... going to say sorry there? Or were you going I to was say... gonna, well, I yeah, you're, say, not, yeah, you're no. not entirely sure. Well, actually, in, in the conversation I had with you, I didn't you, even win, John. <laughs> 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 I thought when I first spoke to you, I said, I'm not talking to you. How dare you? But you did, actually, well, you did actually say that you hadn't given permission. The publishing company said we had permission to do it and we did it. So we were innocent and you were the victim. So you sacrificed a huge amount for that. So I apologise on behalf of the publishing company that shouldn't have done it. But anyway, there Listen, we are. Do you know what? It's all in the past and... I always believe that you know, there's no point in having regrets. There's no point in anything. It was a bit of a shock, to be honest, when I saw it on the news because, you know, as I said, I wasn't paid, I wasn't told, and then my bottom was on the Houses of Parliament. Thank you very much, John. And uh, But then, you know what, I look back on it now and I think, well, do you know what? Who else was up there? Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so know, I sacrificed my clothes for you. Yes, you did. The well, naked... Not for you, you know, not, not Mrs. John. Not I didn't sacrifice my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> my clothes just for you on your own, but for the entire nation. It was the naked truth, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the, the naked truth. The first truth. first truth to be presented in Parliament for a very long time, I would say. Exactly. Actually, actually, actually is, you could look at it Prime like Minister. That. So this is about sacrifice. And the reason that we're doing it like this is that we live in a world where people think they can have everything, that they can do everything and everything's available to them. And actually, real success requires sacrifice. Uh, and it's important for people to understand that. So starting out, Gail, what have you sacrificed today? Breakfast? Uh, sacrifice, <laughs> yes. Do you know what? Actually, I didn't have any breakfast this morning, so I sacrificed breakfast, and I sacrificed um, a long lie-in because I like to walk as much as I possibly can. So um, when you said I had to come in at a certain time, I thought, well, I'll set my alarm for like three hours early, so that gives me an hour to wander because I always, th I think especially in lockdown, so it's kind of a sacrifice, but it's not. So I'm sacrificing sleepy time, but I'm also enjoying the the 
the madness and the quietness of London. Well, madness in the fact that it's so quiet, not as in it's crazy busy, but you're walking through Carnaby Street and I'm the only person in Carnaby Street. It's kind of weird, isn't it's it? It's kind of weird. weird. It's kind of 28 yeah. days later, yeah. but I like it. Ooh, it's so good, I'm it? quite happy to sacrifice my sleep to come and do that and wander around London. I, I did the same last night. I dropped my daughter off and then I just wandered for three hours in the dark, seeing the Christmas lights, nobody around, no shops open. But you could still go and get a coffee somewhere and stand outside. And it's been lovely weather. Well, it's really cold, but I love it. So it gives me rosy cheeks and then you can have a mulled wine. So I think it's all changed now. I think you have to eat pizza or something and then have a coffee. So you're not... Because obviously you're going to get COVID if you don't eat, but then you can't... You won't get COVID if you have a coffee and a pizza. Is that right? That's probably something like that. Boris Johnson doesn't understand the the, the instructions. So I I definitely don't. It was very interesting. I was on a... It was about six months ago. I met this. I was doing a, a, a conference, and I met this explorer who was on it. Not quite Ralph Fiennes, but um, Ranulph Fiennes, but an explorer. And we were talking about. I love walking, and he said to me, "Yes, you can. You can walk everywhere. It's just a matter of time." <laughs> Which I thought it was is, a lovely way of describing great. it. So, first of all, Gail, um, you're from Edinburgh. Yes. Wonderful. Tell us a, bit, a little bit about your early life. Um, oh my gosh. Well, um, I was born in a place called Joppa, which is next to Portobello. So we were a five minute walk from the beach, which now I take, you know, I realise how much we took it for granted when we were little. And it was it didn't even have to be sunny. It could be raining. And mum would just give you a bucket and spade and go, go to the beach. And you go running down in the peeing rain all the way down there. Didn't care because it was the beach and it was filthy. It's beautiful now, Portobello Beach. But we would just run down and it was nice in those days, you know, in the 70s. Nobody, you know, you're not worried about anything. You're in your bare feet. Stand on glass. It's fine. Pack it out. <laughs> That's what you do in Scotland. Now it's like, don't cough on me. They're like that. It doesn't matter. It was just a pickaxe. All right. Okay. So, so that um... wonderful juxtaposition between <laughs> urban grime yeah. and nature, wasn't it? You no, were kind exactly. of a bit of both there. That was lovely. We had a little bit of kind of um, a bit rough. A bit rough at school sometimes. Not too rough, actually. It was all right school. But, you know, we got the belt and stuff. Um, I didn't because I was my nickname was Snobby Porter. <laughs> I was one of those annoying kids that someone would go, right, I'm just going to ask you a question. I put my hand up going, I know the answer. They go, we haven't asked you the question yet. And they go, you snobby kid. Now, now tell me, did you, whereabouts <laughs> in the class did you sit? Were you at the front, the middle or the back? I was actually at the back. Ooh, the backhand getting all the answers. Because yeah. normally you went to the back to kind of hide you know that I do that I do I still do that when I go to the gym I go to the back even though I think that I'm like great at spinning but I'll go to the back because the thing when I go whoop whoop and I really annoy people then I think I'm at the back so I can I'm near the door so I think I must have started thinking about that when I was a child thinking I'm going to really be annoying so I just easily access the door so a bit of a cheerleader in a way I was just over I'm over excited about everything I find something fun in the the most banal things it's interesting that because um we always say that cynicism is the death of creativity so creativity is about being positive so if you're a cynic in my view you'll never be a great creative person yeah do you know i think we all have cynical moments in our lives don't we but i'm trying to do i've always tried to do positives Cause I, and then, but then I did have a, a big batch in my life, which probably you've read about, or everyone's well, if you've seen the 
documentary where everything just went completely tits up. So I don't even think I was cynical. I just thought life is just shit, if I'm allowed to say that word. You are. Thank you. Um, but now I just think, okay, I've not been paid since God knows when. I don't know when my next job's going to be coming. <laughs> I've got no hair. My daughter's put me on a oh. dating app. I can't even get laid. Oh. So, um, But I think that's probably unhygienic at the moment anyway. I think probably so. I wouldn't yeah. know because it's been too So long. tell me, so there you were, Scotland, <laughs> yes. very close to Edinburgh. No, I lived in Edinburgh. It was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. In. Joppa's in Edinburgh. Sorry, my geography isn't that no, no, good. It's fine. So it's sort of I'm... Edinburgh and then it goes, well, Portobello and, and Joppa's part of Edinburgh, then it goes to Musselburgh. Ah, right. Sorry. Okay, so Sorry. Edinburgh. So then down to London. Yes. How did you get to London? What was the Well, there's another the sacrifice. Force? Go for it. So I was seeing my best friend's brother, as you do at school. You always want to go for the older <laughs> brother because they're a bit naughty and they're probably going to cheat on you and all that kind of stuff when you're teenagers. You have to go through all that. Or was it just me? No, I think I think yeah. everybody goes through that. Yes, I was seeing this boy. He was cheating, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I was deciding where I wanted to go for college. So I'd applied to do drama at Napier University in Edinburgh. And I went for the audition and they just looked at me like I was nothing. And I felt the tiniest person in the world ever. And I was trying to do this. And I said, well, basically, I just want to get involved in the arts and be creative. And and they're like, no, you're not going anywhere. And they they dismissed me. (laughs) And then I applied for different places. And I thought, you know what? Just to spite everyone, I'm going to apply to somewhere in London. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. And then I got into London. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh. Where did oh. you get to? Where, where, where? Uh, well, at first I was at West Hearts and then I yeah. went to London. I did film, I did um, editing. I did avid editing at um, the film school. And <laughs> so anyway, I got in and everyone's like, you're not going, are you? I went, yeah, yeah, I am actually. Yeah, but I didn't want <laughs> inside. Yeah, I was that was going. a sacrifice. You had to give so up. So I had to give up. I gave up give, my home. You gave up your home. I gave up, you know, the... the the, you know, knowing that I could go home and mum would have burnt fish fingers ready and I'd, I'd have a roof over my head and bills would be paid and then suddenly I was like, yeah, I can do all this. I'm going to just go. And then I got on a bus. Has anyone been on a mega bus? Yes. Hello, students. <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world ever. So I got, on, I got on a bus and the guy next to me, he had a massive like family pack of cheesy Watsits and I went, are you seriously? And it's about 12 hours and he stank of cheesy Watsits and he ate them the whole way down and I thought, oh my gosh. So I'm sacrificing my lovely burnt fish fingers, my own bedroom, all those Athena posters that you had in the 80s. Yes. You know, yes, all those stuff. Yeah. And the, yeah, you my... probably had different ones to the ones I had, but anyway. But yeah, some on, sort yeah. of man cradling baby. That it wasn't his baby and it, it was just a model. I don't even understand that uh, or a picture of Toya Wilcox and the Smiths because obviously oh, I had yes. to be depressed yes um, and so yeah so I, I, I sacrificed my lovely bedroom my lovely mum and dad my brother all my mates just to prove a point because I was going to make something of myself and everybody else thought I was not going to do anything and I That's left very interesting isn't it because that sense of being turned down in your own hometown and then having to have the courage to kind of come down, go somewhere else. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to London. I'm going to going to make it happen there. So great. I mean, as you've talked about, that was a huge sacrifice in terms of lifestyle and certainty and all of those things. Well, sa- I think it's safety and um, mm. comfort. You know, you've got all this safety and comfort. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. And then suddenly I've got cheesy what's it, man. And I don't know where I'm going to live. And I thought I could do it. I would think actually that 
because you know I look about I talk about creativity and we talk about creative people are often outsiders so often outsiders and they look in and observe and they they have to sacrifice their own kind of comfort to kind of stand outside and look in and that way I think they often become better as creative people and you had that you came down from Edinburgh down to London you have a wonderful Scottish accent you immediately were not Londoner and there you were trying to make your way so what was the first thing you did uh well I applied to West Hearts Polytechnic to do I think I'd applied to do um I can't remember, like graphic design or something. I can't even, I've got not an artistic bone in my body. I just applied for anything. And I got in there and I remember just sitting in the class and I thought, I was watching everybody and I went, I don't even know what anyone's talking about. I don't know what's happening. And I've got, I'm quite sort of ADHD, bipolar. I say things and I don't mean it, but it just comes out. And then I tried to explain myself and I think, well, I shouldn't really have to explain myself. It's just something that's in my head. So I just went, I don't, I don't know what anyone's talking about and I need to get out. <laughs> the tutor was like, "Sorry, sorry, Miss Porter, do you want to do you want to come outside and, and maybe talk in private?" Because <laughs> I sometimes think, "Did I say that out loud? I said that out loud. All oh, right, okay." I said, "No, no, I'm just saying this course. I just don't know what anyone. I don't know what's happening." And then they said, "Maybe you'd be good at media." And I said, "Well, that's what I wanted, but because I was like really hasty and just <laughs> just applied for anything as long as I could get in." And then so they moved me to media. So. um then I said, well, I've got nowhere to stay. I was just kind of like staying in a bed and breakfast. And they said, well, we don't have any halls of residence. Did you not research anything? I went, no, no, of course not. No, don't even know what day is. I just got on a megabus. <laughs> just got on a and megabus. here I am. What else do you do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's why I love the way when people say, so what are your plans for the next five years? I went, I don't even know what happened yesterday. But um... <laughs> yeah, I always say to people, I don't I don't have a five-year plan. I have a five-minute plan. Yeah, five you know. minutes. I'm with that's you. Right. What yeah. are we doing in the next one? Absolutely. <laughs> so there you were. So suddenly, this is a brilliant thing too. You found this teacher who looked at you and thought, yeah. here's somebody with enormous talent, but she's in the wrong course here. Yeah, Why Ron. Don't you... His name was Ron. Ron. Yeah. Oh, here's to Ron. Here's to Ron. Oh, whoever, wherever Ron is right now. Um, Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Ron. That was brilliant. And so in you went to media and you did media studies. Yes. So I moved to media studies and then um, they put me in touch with um, different places to stay. So you could actually stay in houses. So you just lived with a family. So I can't say too much about the family because it was insane. But um, it was fine. And do you know what fine means? If anyone knows, yeah, you know what fine means. But anyway, I'm not going to go down that I road. Do. Don't go down. If you it don't was, want to go down there, don't, don't, don't go, go down there. there. But it was fine. We'll sacrifice that for the we'll sake We'll sacrifice of you. that. And I actually sacrificed, I think, my health when I moved into that house because um, I overate because I was so depressed. Um, I've gone from under eating, overeating. And I used to walk home from college and I used to listen to... Oh my gosh, I remember it was Kylie Minogue confide in me. Don't know why. I had a Walkman, CD Walkman, and I'd walk home and go, confide, can't sing, but I'd go, confide in me. For, you know, kind of that tragic for those thing. Who, for those who don't know, a Walkman... <laughs> CD Walkman. A CD Walkman <laughs> was, a, was a cassette player, basically. You carried around, you could carry about three or four cassettes with you and you played them, unlike downloading that we have today. So just a little bit of historical Sorry, advice. Yes. That's for, quite no. No. <laughs> for you young people out there. So basically oh. it was the best thing. So when you were when you were courting when you were young, you'd make up a CD com- compilation for the person that you fancied at school. You record it on your radio or you're listening to Radio 1 like the top 40 on a Sunday night and you'd you'd um 
sorry presenters of, 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 the, of the top 40 we used to pause it when you were talking and then just put it back on again yes that music. was terrible wasn't it they used to talk far too much and not play enough now, now here's a question <laughs> yes. so you know we finished college we've done media studies and what was your where was your first job well i went on to do um avid editing i decided i was going to be an editor so i did a course in that and then pa at the london film school and then i um then yes I was kind of my friend was doing a documentary in Edinburgh about women's rugby and he asked me to be a runner so for anybody out there that doesn't know what a runner is basically you do everything for free so <laughs> if you work on a telly program you they go oh I'm a runner on it and they go, you think you're going to do everything media you're not you're going to babysit you're going to pick up someone's dry cleaning you're going to clean the floors you're going to make great amounts of tea and coffee um, you're going to carry everything and you won't get paid for about a year and then <laughs> so I decided to do I was a runner with this lovely guy called Derek Guthrie and then um, so it was um, a thing called not not just a boys game or something like that so it's all about women playing rugby it's all great then Derek moved well he lived in London so he said why don't you come to London and babysit the kids while I'm working and his wife was working for the BBC and they were just really busy and I got a room to stay so anyway, he said to me one day, I'm going to be in Soho because I was looking around for other jobs during the day. And he said, there's a place called the Groucho Club. It's a private club. And I said, oh, I think I've heard about that. And he said, well, do you want to come and meet me? And yeah, I can sort of introduce you to a couple of people. So I got there before Derek got there. And Peter Richardson from the comic strip was sitting in the corner on his own. And I'm a massive comic strip fan. Huge. I've got everything. Five, yeah, everything anything to do with it when I saw him and I was thinking right okay I've sacrificed my home in Edinburgh I've come down here I've been a runner I've not made any money for a year I'm living in someone's spare room babysitting their kids da 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 there's Peter Richardson so I just went over and I said because I'd actually been writing to them for years going I don't you know what, what, what well what we used to do not I don't think many kids nowadays, when they come out of university, write handwritten letters. And I'd send pictures of like, there's my hand and I can do this. <laughs> and actually, I, I went up to him and I said, hi, my name's Gail uh, Porter. I've been writing to you, um, asking for jobs and everything. And he looked at me like I was a mental stalker. Horrified. Yeah, absolutely horrified because <laughs> he's quite a quiet, private man. And I said, I, I just thought if I don't come and speak to you, and he said, actually, my offices are, are in the next street. Do you want to come to the office? And I was like, yeah, great, okay. So I went down and there was a guy called Robert Popper who's now, well, I mean, he's just amazing. He he writes Friday Night Dinner. He, he does everything IT crowd. Anyway, um, so Robert, I walked in and Peter went, you know that girl that writes all the letters? And they had the letters on the wall. Oh, fantastic. Like, they were, there you are. Yeah, and I walked in and they said, and they all looked really scared. Uh, I said, I'm not mental. And I think when someone says, I'm not mental, then they go, you she's mental. She's mental, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So then they said, Barking. would, would yeah. you like a job as a runner? And I said, yeah. They said, we don't have any money. I went, I don't care. And so I worked on a thing called Fry's The Limit, which was um, with Stephen Fry, and it was on Radio 4. Uh, it was just it was based on Round the Horn with Kenneth Horn. Yeah. So but Stephen Fry did it. So it was only about a month's worth of work. But um, um It got you in there. Got me in there. So the other thing about that is be early. 
Yeah, be it's early. Be early, because you someone... never know who you're going to meet. And you've <laughs> and got if, a chance to meet them. If so. someone looks at you and says, please don't talk to me, just talk anyway. <laughs> That's a good sacrifice. What's the worst that be can early. happen? <laughs> yeah, be early. That's a good sacrifice. And also sacrificing your pride by going, I will going to swallow that pride and I'm going to go up and speak to him. The worst that can happen is he can say, just go away, you crazy person. But he didn't, and I got a job. And there you are. So there if you, you don't ask, you don't get. That's exactly. that wonderful Sacrifice thing. Sacrifice your pride. Yeah, absolutely. So there you are. You've done that. You've done a month's uh, runner on the on on this show, and then you've suddenly gone right. I'm now able to go and do a radio show myself. I can go on TV. What happened next? It not it, nothing was planned whatsoever. Um, I did more babysitting. I did more working in bars. <laughs> I was there was no plan whatsoever, and then. Um, I was babysitting for a friend of mine in Scotland who was a director and he said, oh, you know, you're always great with the kids and you talk a lot. <laughs> Don't know if anyone's noticed, but... Um, and he said, "What? We, we've got an audition coming up. Do you fancy it? And I thought, well, I didn't... I and what didn't. was the audition for? It was for a programme called The Totally Interactive Game Show, which was filmed in Scotland, um, but it went out across the UK. So, it's so you'd to... gone back to Scotland. Yeah, you did so this. I come all the way to London. London. Then you've gone back to Scotland. Then I went back to Scotland for the audition. And um, I remember this, like, I turned up and I didn't have a script and I had jeans and a black T-shirt on. And of course, in the days of children's TV auditioning, everyone turns up in neon and they've all got bunches and woohoo. And I was like, oh, bollocks. I'm never going to go anywhere with this. And I think because I'd worked behind the scenes of the camera, I wasn't nervous. It was just easy to chat and do the stuff because I just realised, you know, I'd done camera assisting, sound. I've, I've done everything behind the scenes. That's what you do when you're a runner. So I think that because I didn't, the nerves didn't get better of me, they called me back and they called me back. And I remember my grandma was really ill at the time. She she was dying of cancer and she was just so delighted. And eventually, so I got the job. So it was my first ever audition, got the job, which was extremely exciting. And my nan made it to watch the first, because it was live and it was a game show and people were like, it was just a complete disaster of an idea. Oh, wonderful. So, Children, so she actually managed it through, I spoke to her just before I went on air oh. and she had the TV in her room because she was taken home to die. And so I spoke to her and she's like, oh, I'm so proud, eh? And then I phoned after the show and I said, can I speak to my grandma? And they said, she's sleeping. And I knew she it. didn't make it through the whole programme, but oh. she did watch the beginning. So she was extremely chuffed. And um, oh, so, yeah. a lovely story. Yeah, it was Beautiful. really nice. She was so excited. And she's like, I can see you. I was like, oh. So anyway. So there you are. So you've done that. You, yeah. This is now, this is like... You know your set your steps to get to where you are today. Yeah, started. so I, That's yeah, brilliant. I, all the way back to Scotland, and then I stayed up in Scotland for a wee while, <clears> and then I started getting asked for different things. So I was going back down to London, then coming back to Scotland, and then I got a program called Fully Booked, which was on BBC BBC Two. It was, and it's a little bit like Live and Kicking. So it was, I think, two and a half hours live every Saturday morning. So I was living in London, and then flying back on a Thursday. Rehearsing on a Friday, live on a Saturday, fly back to London on a Saturday night and then Sunday day off. No. Yeah, I think I did have a day off on a Sunday and then auditions and meetings and smiling and talking. So and sacrificing your private life yeah. in a sense, you know, that was a commitment <laughs> to your career. That, yeah. So you've sacrificed your private life doing that. And then gradually you kind of got, you were on top of the pops We did. You did Top of the Pops? Yeah, for about, four, oh my gosh, four, five, four or five years? I don't know how many years, to be honest with you. 
But I was on and off until I think it was... Chris Cowie was the um, director and producer, the nicest man in the world ever. And then I think BBC One wanted to do a shake-up after years and years of it being wonderfully successful. And Andy Peters came on and he was trying to change it all and make it young. And so we all got sacked. Anyone <laughs> over the age of 40, see you later. You know, everyone, anyone that knows anything about music, get out. And they brought in, oh, it was fine. You know, young ones need a, a chance. But then obviously it all went tits up. So they should have kept Chris Cowie and us oldies. <laughs> there you go. So they sacrificed. So they sacrificed a decent programme that they, we should yeah, have every yeah. Friday. Friday night, shouldn't we? So often happens that, doesn't it? You know, somebody comes in. I mean, it's always difficult to argue the kind of, do I change it? Do I not change it? Do I stay with a great formula? Do I not do it? It's it's one of the great debates. Nobody can ever have a. I think an when it comes to something to amazing, like, I think the Big Breakfast was a great formula. I worked on the Big Breakfast for ages, not just because I worked on it, but you know, when you hmm. when I get up in the morning now, I don't want to watch the news. I, I sort of Google the news. That's all. I don't want to hear. I'm sure Piers Morgan's a very nice person, but it's very noisy for me. And I don't like that sort of noise in the morning and the shouting. I like to get my news. But then but then again, Big Breakfast was shouty, but it was fun. Everyone's having a laugh. It's not kind of like, no, don't do this, and shouting over each other. It's got very angry, hasn't it? Television's it's, got it's angry. angry. Lots of angry people See, being I like, I like, angry with each other. Yes, and, yeah. I like shouty, happy fun. Yeah, That's nice. I can I... deal with that. You're listening to Sacrifice and Success, a podcast brought to you by independent media agency Electric Glue. So then you got into, um, so that you know your your image was projected on to Parliament because you were part of FHM. Um, how did that all happen? What did what happened there? Well, I can remember exactly how it all happened <laughs> because this whole thing, even today, I wake up and I think. You know, when my daughter says, Mum, what do you actually do? And I went, I actually genuinely have got no idea whatsoever what I do. I couldn't tell you what I did in the 90s. I don't know. No idea. Um, I just seem to sort of like float along life. No plans. But yes, I was doing... I just got asked to go to a photo shoot. I think there was a magazine called Arena. Do you remember Arena magazine? I remember it well. And I was doing Fully Booked. And I went to some tiny studio in East London somewhere. And all I did was I had um, like a big hoodie thing, like an old school parka. uh, Covered my face in it. Photographer took a few pictures. I did cross eyes. And they said, Gail Porter, cornflake girl, because I was doing breakfast telly. And then I think it was GQ got in contact with me. And they said, oh, we'd quite like to do a proper shoot with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And they went, no, no, seriously. What, <laughs> like, what is a proper what shoot? What is a proper shoot? And they were like, you know, they had all, and they were like, you know, dresses, fashion, makeup artists. And I was like, you know, I'm from Joppa and I'm five foot one. Well, five foot two. Mind you, I, told, I tell everyone I'm five foot four and a half. But then when they meet me, they go, you're such a liar. Like, yeah. Um, so go I on. thought, why not? So I turned up, no contracts, no nothing just turned up thinking what possibly could go wrong and then we were trying on all different dresses and I was quite small at the time because I was having eating disorders but I had really big boobs so nothing fitted because I was tiny but then I was big on top but this is what the photographer said you see so now I realize when they go oh nothing fits maybe just like you know just don't wear anything and we'll just see you from behind and I was like oh well, yeah why yeah, not yeah. Oh, that old line <laughs> that old yeah one. And there's some more champagne <laughs> all right okie dokie so anyway I lay down on the floor and the photographer he was an amazing photographer and um 
yeah so they kind of like i was lying down here they put it all in blue lighting and you could see my bottom and i the thing is i i've got no problem with bodies i was like yeah do you know what what's the worst that could happen so they said oh it was in i think gosh middle of the gq just a wee piece gail porter did it and then i think fhm picked up on that picture and then they asked me to go in and do another shoot and actually my mum came with me so it was in a big ear hanger uh-huh. thing and mum was like oh and i said is this all right mum she's like oh yes no problem i know she was like me nobody's gonna see it nobody cares no 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 oh dear <laughs> if only, did, if only know, she had known <laughs> we'd yeah. done the whole day of shooting and then they were like oh we're not sure what's going to happen with it don't get paid but you know it's a bit of publicity and then the next thing was I was brushing my teeth in my bathroom in my tiny little flat in Kilburn and um, I heard my name on BBC News, which, you know, that doesn't happen. And I went out and I saw this image, which thanks to you, I was on... We are the... to blame. <laughs> you are to blame. It had been projected. So tell me, <laughs> how did you get a hold of my arse and put it on Big Ben? Well, we were given it. FHM you were given my bottom. Thank you. <laughs> well, it was so lovely. I, have I to sacrificed say. my bottom no, you for did, you. And it was, it's a wonderful <laughs> bottom. And all, all elements of it, actually, front and back. Uh, but FHM said to me, we want to publicise this, um, the top 100 glamorous women in the UK. What can we do? It's a, we have a vote for it. And we said, well, why don't we just project one of the images on the side of Parliament, which is where everybody goes to vote? And uh, they said, oh, great idea. So we did. We just set it up and projected your fabulous image on the side of Parliament. It was actually a very lovely picture, I thought. Thanks. And but it apparently said, you had to, they had to um, erase my nipple because the nipple was offensive. <laughs> not, always not something a hundred, like that. Yeah. Not 100 foot. Oh, how how big was it? I, I can't. Oh. I mean, we, the image was on the side yeah. of Parliament. On Big Ben. You yeah, know, all but, the way up but Big how ben. big was it? Oh, huge. Yeah, I know it was huge, but I don't know, I mean, how many feet were Oh, it? God. I mean, it was the whole side of Big Ben. It was <laughs> it was enormous. And uh, we did the whole side of Parliament with it. Vote FHM, vote for the, the top 100 women with your image going up uh, Big Ben, so to speak. And it was fantastic. Just uh, didn't but think we to were tell not, We were told that they have all the rights to do this. We were So we were innocent. We okay, well, do you know what? But anyway, we were, we were both led astray. But you were led astray, and then that led to you having all this fame, in a sense. I think it was more infamy, wasn't it? Infamy, was, uh, yeah. well, yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like I'd sort of... Like... It wasn't the fame that you wanted, but it created a kind of fame, or celebrity, one, one should say. So yeah. what happened then? So there you were. Well, then it all sort of like took a bit of a weird turn because you have people going, you know... Um, things like this should not be happening you should not be taking your clothes off you're you're making a mockery out of females and they're you know the thing was i didn't think of it that way i went along to do a shoot was not embarrassed about my body i'm still not embarrassed um you know and i don't care i'm going to be 50 i'm not going to do it again don't worry anyone <laughs> i wouldn't put you through it but you know i'm quite Why happy not? to wander <laughs> i'm quite happy to wander around my house in my pants but um i wouldn't let anybody else want to i'm sure nobody else wants to see that but yeah i didn't think anything of it there was no mastermind behind it there was not me thinking do you know what i'm going to use my bottom to to make a career for myself it was just literally turned up I thought, why not? I remember my nan used to have all these lovely pictures of Marilyn Monroe and film stars and, you know, practically wearing nothing, running around. And I just thought it was so glamorous and lovely. And then suddenly somebody said, I'd like to take a picture of you in your 20s. You're never going to have that body again. So, and I was like, yeah, why not? 
it's not going to be offensive. And I didn't know that it was going to be on the side of that. Celebration. <laughs> so do you know what? It, it was what it was. So after that, yeah, I kind of getting some jobs, not getting other jobs because people are thinking, well, don't know if we want that sort of image. And a lot of people thought I was still doing children's television, which I wasn't. I was on The Big Breakfast. I was doing things like that. So, you know, um, it kind of it led to different opportunities, but also led to quite a lot of um, controversy. So you sacrificed, in a way, you sacrificed this career that you were developing. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't image. know, because I wasn't entirely sure what I was doing. I, would, I always wanted to be thought of that, you know, that I did actually have a brain. And I think mm. as soon as you do something like that, people kind of look at you in a different way and because it was so huge that everyone has seen it so I'm obviously blonde and thick and yeah so that's quite a difficult one to dig yourself out of to try and prove yourself as you know I'm, I'm not the most clever person in the entire world but I'm not the dumbest mm. person it's kind of that line about life happens to you whilst you're planning other things isn't yeah it? exactly and, and so there you were you were in this situation you had this infamy or however you want to define it, celebrity, and that sort of constricted then what you could do because people were judging you before yeah. they actually approached you. So what happened after that? Well, after that, I spent a lot, a lot of time doing interviews, whether it was for feminist magazines or whether it was more uh, GQ, FHM, Esquire. In fact, um, my daughter, my daughter found, well, I, I got one... Um, one of the mag- I never got any of the magazines either, which is weird because at the time I didn't want them. I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. But now I'm going to be 50 in what, three and a half months time. And I think, oh my gosh, I wish I had them. I go, look at my bottom there. Look at that. Make it into a birthday card. Uh, <laughs> so Wonderful. I did actually manage to get a couple sent to me. Um, and my daughter was looking at Now she's 18. When she was younger, she's like, oh God put it away and now she's like actually that's pretty cool that is you know i think well, it's, great, kind of, it's it? sort of like cultish now yeah, yeah whereas you know if she was 10 or 12 she's like oh my god you're so embarrassing whereas now 18 going check you out that's like yeah check your mum out she looked at you as a, bla- a, t- a trailblazer i think so i think yeah. she's like she, even now she's just she's like mum what are you doing i went don't know don't really care to be honest with you <laughs> As long as everyone's smiling, I've got no clue what I'm doing. And as long as I don't hurt anybody, then I'm good with anything. <laughs> but you had a very difficult time in, in the in the noughties, you, the, 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 the early, um, just after the millennium. And well, it was more, I think it was, um, honey, are you talking about hair and stuff like that? Yes, you, you, you suffered mental health problems. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, well, what happened, um, I had, uh, I married my ex-husband Dan and I was told I couldn't have children because I'd been I had anorexia for 10 9 10 years and so I'd starved myself for so long that you know my body wasn't functioning properly and then uh, yeah I got really really sick in 2001 and tried everything and the doctors came out and I was they thought I had gastroenteritis but it wasn't it was honey so um it turned out that I was pregnant after all that so um, I kind of withdrew myself and I was just so like, my gosh, this is amazing. And yeah, I had honey in 2002. And then I was pretty depressed. Not, not manic. Was this postnatal depression? Well, yeah, yeah, I didn't really go to the doctors. I kind of, yeah. I hid myself in the house. It was me and honey versus the world. So I went home. I remember having honey. She was 
she was just under nine pounds. It was a big baby. And then I was taken to surgery because there was a few complications. And then I think it was day two after she was born. And I was up and dressed. There's blood everywhere. And the nurse is like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going home. Going home right now with the baby. And they're going, no, you can. And I'm like, yes, I can. You can't keep me in here. And I think that was the beginning of me going, don't come near me. Don't touch me. I turned all MC Hammer. What do you think triggered that? I don't know. I think I was so... I didn't expect to ever, ever have a child. And I was always a bit push people away if people got too close. And then suddenly this was my child and that was it. It was me and her. It was a very odd way of thinking, but I just wanted to get home. And then um, I had a voiceover to do five days after she was... <laughs> six days after she was born. And I said, yeah, no, it's fine. I'll be there. They went, you just give him birth. Went, it's fine. I'll just bring her with me. <laughs> Seriously? So I got in the car with Honey in the back and took her in and I was holding on to her and I gave her to my friend who was actually running the voiceover studio. And she's like, are you sure you're okay with this? I was like, no, no, <laughs> crying my eyes out. And of course, every time my daughter was crying, sorry for being, you know, but you know, your boobs are like everything. Yes, sure, just, we understand. Yeah, exactly. Sorry for being graphic. But, um, and then I was going into the voiceover booth and all the advertising people were standing there going, are you sure you're okay with this? I was like, totally <laughs> Bursting into tears. And then, yeah, and then as soon as they went, and action, I went, Sainsbury's making life taste better for less. Offer includes local essentials. See in store for details. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but I could function. And then I'd go home, and then I wouldn't let anyone back into the bubble again. It was bizarre. And then I, me and my ex-husband didn't work out. And then that was, you know, divorce is not the easiest thing to go through. Of course. And my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And then so there was the stress of selling the house, being a mum, getting divorced, you know, and mum dying. And then my hair started to fall out. And I just thought, my God, seriously? And I remember mum just thinking, oh, you've, <laughs> you're going through quite a lot and it's all happening at once. So it was nobody's fault. But I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, my hair is... I didn't know anybody with alopecia. And... Um, yeah, it sort of came out in a wee couple of clumps and I thought it was fine. I had long blonde hair. And then within four weeks, I had nothing. Everything was gone. But you're incredibly brave because you're sitting here opposite me. You're <laughs> completely bald. Yeah. Uh, you don't hide it. You don't. No. And dealing with that, dealing with this sort of, there you were projected onto the side of Parliament as this glamorous, beautiful woman. I think you're still beautiful. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Earbrush the but, hill, by the but, way. <laughs> but then all of a sudden your hair falls out. A great part of your femininity has gone. But you bravely didn't hide it. You just confronted it and said, this is it. This is me. I'm going to sacrifice that side of my life now for this side of my life. And that was a huge, that must have taken a huge amount of courage. I don't, do you know, I don't think it did. I think I was in such shock. Um, when it happened and then I thought right either I pretend to be something I don't want to wear a wig I, I'm not comfortable in a wig and I thought well this is me I mean I had some guy come up to me the other week there and he went oh my god I remember when you used to be pretty <laughs> Thank, thanks, thanks very much yeah, that's, that's really kind yeah. of you I went, anything still else got, you want to say yeah I was like I still got the same face still got the same heart still got the same soul I just don't have he's like I'd wear a wig if I was you and I went well you're not me and you could do with losing a few pounds mate but uh, <laughs> I love it, yeah. <laughs> look at yourself. Take a, go yeah, look exactly. in the mirror. Go and have you, a look at yourself, you, you mate. You need some help. Exactly. Yeah. Don't judge me. So, um, but yeah, my personality took a bit of a, a knock, to be honest with you, because I thought, right, I'm going to be this strong person. 
and I didn't realize how strong you're going to have to be with people giving you comments and and everyone suddenly deciding you know you look different jobs just stopped because you don't look the same would you wear a wig would you mind wearing a wig no I don't want to wear a wig this is how it is people go through a lot worse things my mom you know she lost her hair to cancer this chemotherapy I've just lost my hair you know I'm very lucky so um so I thought right I'm going to push this forward and you got agents saying if I was you I'd do this and I went well you're not me so yeah work just when my mental health was just going you know um you know I was going through the divorce no money coming in and so eventually I had nowhere to stay <laughs> it just went from bad to worse and then you know it was just things like well, what do you do? I don't know. Do I drink? Do I? I've got no clue whatsoever. <laughs> I don't take drugs. Though. And there was no one you could turn to? No one? Your ex-husband obviously that's, was your ex-husband. Yeah, so you, that's a no. Um, you mom had, your mum had sadly well, she, died. She was, yeah, well, she, oh, was, she was dying. She, yeah. And um, now, what about your dad? Your dad had passed by then? Or? No, my dad just passed this year. Mark. Oh, I see. So my dad was, yeah, do you know what? Dad was okay, but my dad's very, very Scottish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, everything would be my fault. You should wear a wig. Or, yes, you shouldn't have done this. You know, it, but he didn't mean it in a bad way. Like, when we did the documentary, I, I burst into tears. We filmed it just before he passed away. And I just burst into tears and I said, oh, I'm just sorry for letting you down. And he said, you didn't let me down, you just let yourself down. And I thought, typical dad. Do you know what? He doesn't say, do you know what? You've done all right. Um, there was no praise there. No, no, no. It's no just praise. you. No, no. Yes, let everybody, yep, yourself yep. down. I'm like, oh, right, great, thanks. Um, but also I thought, okay, I've got this hair thing and I love people. So maybe I, I, I did go through maybe six months of being mean and horrible. So I apologise now if you ever got the backhand of a Scottish woman who's just got... Snapped at you. <laughs> yeah, if I snapped at you, if I've had like two glasses of wine and go, yeah, whatever. Uh, and then, But, you know, I think we all need that breaking point. But I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm quite ashamed about being that. I'm usually on top of things, but no, I did break for a while. And, and then, actually slept, you had to, you had nowhere to stay. You no, to... well, I had loads of great friends, but it was getting embarrassing because I'm in my 40s and my daughter's staying at her dad's. I've got no money. I've got no work. I'm sleeping on people's couches. It's a sort. It's like the young ones. And I thought, I didn't think I was going to be like this <clears> at my age. <throat> I thought I had everything in my, you know, this is why you don't take everything for granted. You must always remember how lucky you are and be extremely kind. But um, so, yeah, so there was a few times I didn't have enough money on my phone to call anybody. That's how skint I was. If I found a pound, I was thinking, right, what do I do with a pound? I see if I can find another one and get a mini bottle of wine from the local off license or those little ones. Just anything for comfort. So I was freezing as well. So I was outside. Um, It's interesting, isn't it, how you can soon fall out of the system so to speak yeah. and you can suddenly find yourself in a situation where as you had you had literally nothing you know talking about if I found a pound I could make a phone call or yeah. I or, could get or, hopefully or, another pound and get a, a, get, a mini bottle of wine or get myself something to eat or get a packet of crisps or something mm. uh, and it's, it's amazing how quickly people forget you mm. so you can go through the whole of the 90s yeah I'll take you for it all guys for it I'll pay for it it's fine no problem and then suddenly you go missing for six months nobody not a phone call nothing um the worst people i mean i did have friends that said please come stay but you know they've got kids they've got husbands and for me my pride had just taken a massive battering i'm bold i've got no money i can't get a job and 
I was so embarrassed for to be like the worst mum and yeah I was just like I went to all sorts I went to rehab for my depression um self-harming I kind of like if I didn't have honey I wouldn't be here a hundred percent I would not be here but I thought I could not do that to my daughter at all because so she was a she was part of what got you out of it. Oh, she completely saved my life. If I did not have your honey... Your daughter saved your life. Absolutely, 100%. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Isn't yeah. that great? Honey, thank you very, very much for that. <laughs> well, some people without going, oh, you, God. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to your mum girl. Don't make me cry. But, uh, That's yeah, right, you can cry. She did, yeah. That. She completely saved my life. Um, and then, yeah, I just thought, I can't get out of this. It was just the the weird... When I was sitting on the bench in Hampstead Heath, this is when I had no, I had no money, no credit on my phone... I was too embarrassed to go knock on anyone's door and I just sat on the bench and then it got to night time and I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. Oh. So, um, yeah, I just spent the whole night there just like watching the swans and, yeah. Oh. That's, that's... Sorry. <laughs> as a sacrifice goes and Gail has got wonderful tears in her eyes because that obviously was very, very powerful, that, and a, 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 an enormous kind of sacrifice that you had to make to get your life back together again but having said that you've got your life i'm still back here together, <laughs> you can't get rid of me that quickly <laughs> looking fantastic full of life full of um uh, uh advice for people so you got out of it yep well what happened was i got a phone call from a friend of mine actually after the um the days of being on the bench she met me and she had a spare room said come and stay with me and i'll try and get you some work she's a lovely 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 friend and um she said to me, Big Brother, I want you to go. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, no. And um, I think I was the lowest paid person ever because obviously they knew I was skin. So any money was going to be... And I just thought, well, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'll go in there. I'm not very good with lots and lots of people in a confined space. So I thought, they're going to vote me out week one. Let's get in because if you walk, you don't get paid. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I had to go through all the psychological tests yeah. and everything. And I thought, they're never going to put me through that. Because by this point, I felt like I was just losing my mind. But the guy who was doing all my tests, he was fantastic. His name was Gareth, Scottish, brilliant. We did not stop laughing. It was the first time I actually felt like Gail. Because I just felt like I was a nomad. I didn't know what was going on. And then suddenly I was having conversations and I was in a nice warm room and I was having coffee, which was extremely exciting. Someone was bringing me coffee. And um, he... I went through all the tests, went into Big Brother and I thought, well, that's going to put a deposit on a rented flat. And I remember just before I went, I got a bit of money up front and I just managed to rent a flat. For I'm still in the flat to this day. I love it. It feels like my saviour. I know it's not mine. doesn't matter. It was the first time I got into the flat and I lay on the floor and I slept on the floor. I had no furniture, no food, no nothing. I didn't care. I had a roof over my head and it was the most exciting roof over my head I think I've ever had in my entire That's life. That's brilliant. But I, I actually think, you know, Big Brother is kind of in a way sacrificing your dignity to a certain extent, <laughs> isn't it? Because no, We're but I don't mean that. sacrificing your entire kind of, privacy. Yes, exactly. Because you camera's in your face the whole time and, it, you, you know, you have to expose yourself in a kind of emotionally and psychologically and all of those things. And you did it. Yeah. And out of that, out of that, being prepared to sacrifice that element of dignity, you got your life back together. <laughs> well, hopefully, I had a wee bit of dignity. I was quite well. I was yeah, quite pleasant, and I was always making tea. And in fact, when I came out, 
I a lot of people went on to make lots of money. You know, they do the P PAs, they go and hang out in nightclubs and did it. I just went straight back to that flat. That's all I wanted. I kept saying, please vote me out. Just vote me out. I just want to go to that flat. I've got nothing in there, but I just want to go. I want some privacy. But um, all I did was make tea. So anytime there was an argument in Big Brother, I would go, would anybody like a cup of tea? Sir <laughs> British. Anybody, a cup of tea? And there was the one Solves I'm, everything. Yeah, Every problem, no there demand. Was, there was Solve. one American guy called um, Fat Man Scoop, as you as you are. And um, he, he used to go, man, if Gil Porter's putting the kettle on, you know that some shit is going down. <laughs> so I was like, anyone, tea, anybody? So when I eventually got out, and I went straight to my flat, and I. No, stayed just a there. question. How how long did you? When did you get voted out? Then? Oh gosh, it was about three weeks in, or two. Yeah, I was I was there until the last week. Right. Oh, so you did well. Oh, what is it? I don't. Know. I don't know. I've got no idea. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, it was. Do you know what? You look back on it, and it was fun. No, it wasn't. Oh, I don't know. But it was just something I would not really want to do again. But it saved my life in a way. So as much as I sacrificed my privacy. And I try to think I kept some dignity and I was polite and made lots and lots of tea. So when I eventually left my flat after I'd come out, so I'd spent like a week just going, this is my flat and my cat was there. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I had friends looking after my cat because obviously when I was homeless, so the cat was kind of like moved back into the flat and it was great. And then when I went to the Sainsbury's on my first day out, it was a bit weird. Because everybody kept stopping me in the street going, cup of tea, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh my God, people actually watch Big Brother. Because when you're in there, you for- as much as you know that there's you're cameras... You're in the bubble, aren't you? Yeah, a, yeah, after a couple of days, you do actually... And, until you hear the... Of the, the cameras moving. And I used to be doing the dishes and I'd speak to the mirror as I went, I know you're in there, Mr. Cameraman. <laughs> and I actually bumped into one of the guys. He went, you were so funny because if you were washing the dishes, we knew you'd always speak to us and we couldn't say anything to you. And you'd be chatting away for ages going, oh, I used to work on this and, da, 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 and all the stuff that you don't see. Yeah. And they go, you just talk to us. There was nobody there. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. But yeah, so after that, got my flat. Lots of people said, do you want a cup of tea? And then... Yeah, kind of bits and pieces of work came in. Not much because because of my hair and the way I look, I get asked to do so much charity, which is fantastic. But charity doesn't pay. So that was a tricky one as well, sort of juggling. I want to help every single person. But when you're getting hundreds of offers every day, can you help this charity, that charity? And then I start feeling mean. And then I got a bit depressed again, thinking I'm not doing enough for everybody. But my daughter was like, Mom, you cannot save the world and mm. you need to make some money so um so and then, again honey came to the rescue honey's then. always in the rescue honey is the grown-up it's like absolutely <laughs> fabulous you know it's like Seth, safi and adina i'm adina sweetie come on let's do this and safi's uh, and honey's safi uh, going, no mummy no mum don't <laughs> yeah please don't mum oh, well well that that is what a wonderful story and you're now doing a huge amount for all kinds of Organization. Is there any anyone in particular that you'd like to say to us? You know, we should be more aware of X or whatever it oh, is. Do you know what? There how so long many, have you got? Um, well, I think keep... just be aware of each other at the moment and be be <laughs> kind to yourself to start with. Because if you're not kind to yourself, which I've learned when I was on self destruct, I can't do anything for anybody else. And you have to look after yourself first. And in these weird times as well, be extremely aware of your neighbours. And, you know, elderly neighbours or people that are lonely doesn't have to be, you know, I really appreciate it when people pop a note through my door or just 
knock and say, is everything okay? Because they know that I live with a cat. Be aware. Just that's, be aware. That's a lovely That's a lovely sentiment, isn't it? Yeah, be aware of yourself and each other. Yeah. And be extremely kind because, you know what, we're only here once. Yeah. I know, I know it's, everyone says that kind of thing, yeah. but you are. And there's no time for people to be mean or horrible to each other. Yeah. And if you don't like someone, just walk away. And actually, you have to... <laughs> You have to sacrifice some time to do that. Yeah. You have to stop. But you can make and time. listen. Yep. Uh, and and be aware and be kind. That's a it's a, it's a lovely sentiment. And everyone's got the time. Yeah. I don't believe that nobody's got time. You can always pop in half an hour somewhere, even if it yeah. means like you sacrifice half of your lunch hour. Just make sure you spend half an hour, maybe just texting someone or just go thinking and see of your others. neighbor. Yeah. yeah. So we we asked you to bring a quote or a poem about sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. You haven't. That <laughs> no, <doesn't>, you did. <laughs> you did. No, I didn't. I was going to, but then I forgot. You forgot. You. That's yes. quite all right. We don't we don't worry about that. Um, one thing, obviously, where can we find you on or offline? <laughs> Do you want my total address as well? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't think we want you. But, but, Could you imagine? That'd be <laughs> yeah. quite fun. Oh, no, actually, no. we've got lots of people outside that flat of yours, wherever it is, and we won't reveal yeah. where it is. Um, yeah, um, on Twitter, I'm just Gail Porter. On Instagram, I am Gail Porter. And uh, Facebook, I've got a wee tiny black dress on because there's a whole bunch of me. And they used my pictures of my face, which is weird because I don't think I've got a very exciting life. But I've got a wee black dress on. And uh, but yeah, I'm just sort of Instagram. I am Gail Porter. Twitter, Gail Porter. Um, oh, tweet me. I love tweeting. Gail Porter, how wonderful talking to you. Thank you. So I'm so and sorry I forgot to bring a poem. No, it's all right. Don't I should worry. have brought some Rabbi Burns or something. Rabbi Burns, that would have been good. We can live without that. My Your love stories... is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June. How about that? Fantastic. <laughs> Gail, brilliant. Thank Wonderful you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sacrifice and Success, a podcast brought to you by Electric Blue, an independent media agency that uses the art of sacrifice to help brands navigate a complex media world. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Next month, we'll be talking to photographer Andre Kamara about the sacrifices he's made to be where he is today. Until then, goodbye. This podcast was created by Soho Radio Studios.